Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host Sri Ayer. Today I have a new guest, Dr. Meenakshi Jain, author. You have seen her brother Sunil Jain as well as her sister Sandhya Jain who writes on pgurus.com. And this is the first time Meenakshi Ji is gracing our channel. Meenakshi Ji, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Thank you so much for inviting me. Our pleasure is all ours, uh, Meenakshi Ji. Um, my topic today viewers is about the Sri Krishna Janmasthan and Meenakshi ji has just written a new book on this topic. The book's name is Vasudeva Krishna and Mathura and this book is available on Amazon and I would encourage each and every one of you to buy this book to read and understand the significance of this temple. Remember that in 2017 uh, Dr. Jain had come up with a book about the Ayodhya Ram Mandir that is considered one of the most best references to understand why Rama was born there. So, Dr. Meenakshi Jain, this book, Vasudeva, Krishna and Mathura. Now, what you use the name is slightly different from Sri Krishna Janmasthan. You use the name Katra Keshava Deva. Now, uh, you have done a fair amount of research to find out when exactly was this built because there are people who keep saying various dates and I'm hoping that you're going to go back to the original source and give us the right date. So take it away, madam. Thank you very much for joining again. And I'm sorry to take such a long introduction for you. Thank you so much again. You know, when I began this work on Mathura, the first thing that struck me was the strength of the Hindu civilizational memory. That civilizational memory is evident at every sacred site of the Hindus that I have studied, whether it is Ayodhya, whether it is Somnath, whether it is Kashi, and coming to Mathura, which is the topic of discussion today. When I began this book, I had no idea. I knew that the Hindus always regarded it as a special place, that it is a birthplace of their revered deity. But like so many others, I was not aware of what you call historical evidence to substantiate the Hindu civilizational memory. And this is the most important takeaway on this subject, which I have written in my book. Now you will be, when we talk about Mathra, we think that the dispute is just a few decades or a few centuries old. But your viewers will be surprised to note that the first evidence that we get of a sacred structure at a site called Katra Keshav Dev, Katra Keshav Dev is supposed to be a very important site in the Hindu civilizational memory. Now, Katra Keshav Dev, I'm just using that word because I don't want to, uh, you know, bring modern terminology into the debate. Mo right now, we call it as Krishna Janamsthan. But in the epigraphic evidence that we get, which is 2000 years old, the site is referred to as Katra Keshav Dev. 
now i want to tell you about the first epigraph the first inscription that we found at mathura and before i continue i want to tell your viewers that all this epigraphic evidence was found 50 to 100 years ago by colonial archaeologists so please don't think that this is a creation or invention or discovery of so called hindutva historians it is not and these inscriptions you can verify for yourself in the journal of the archaeological survey of india called epigraphica indica all the volumes are on the net now coming to mathura now there is an inscription that we have found which is dated before 15 common era now why do i say it is dated before 15 common era because it says that in the reign of this ruler i am writing this inscription and that ruler his reign ended in 15 common era so, so that by is about 2007 years ago absolutely correct now this inscription is only partially with us it's a fragment because we must remember that mathura had a history of being attacked and devastated again and again so whatever survives is our luck and nothing survives in complete form so now this inscription it is part of a door so it is called vasu door jam inscription this door jam is 8 and a half feet tall so you can imagine it was not a small structure by any chance because the full door jam has not survived only a fragment has survived which is 8 and a half feet tall now this inscription and it's there in mathura museum uh, your you know your viewers or anyone going to mathura museum must see this inscription in the front there is carving and the inscription is at the back now this inscription is very interesting it is by a person an individual named vasu and he says that he is erecting a structure as i said the inscription is not complete but the fragments that have survived describe parts of that structure it is around a rectangular square whatever it is we don't know it has a toran that means an arch and it describes certain other features of that structure that he is in erecting but the most important part of that inscription that has survived luckily for us where is he erecting that inscription that site he says i am erecting this structure at the mahasthan of vasudev oh wow now i have deliberately not used the word janamsthan because i am going by the absolute verifiable epigraphic evidence now because the rest of the inscription has not survived we do not know what he meant by mahasthan but our simple understanding leads us to speculate that it can either be the birthplace or a very important event connected with the life of vasudev krishna it can be the killing of kans or whatever but i don't want to speculate on what the rest of the inscription says i will only say that it 
uses the word mahasthan of vasudev so vasudev krishna is very much there and the mahasthan is also mentioned in that inscription so this inscription as you said it's over 2000 years old and people who say that we have a claim to the katra keshav dev site going back a long time they cite this inscription as the first proof authentic proof of the hindu claim to that site now when i use the word hindu i would also like to clarify this is a short form i'm not saying that this was a term in vogue at that time but i'm using it for the sake of convenience and what i mean is the krishna devotees or krishna bhakts so this is the first evidence can i cite one or two more evidences or you want to uh, question me <clears throat> yeah this is just amazing uh, dr meenakshi the the thing that blow, blows my mind is that there is absolute certainty absolute certainty about the place and the uh, you know the Person. recollection you know that yes. the narrative has never changed nobody no. is calling krishna by any other name it is the same thing and yet you have some you know uh, karmarjans uh, who want to just keep on saying that yeah this is not true that is not true and so on and so forth so please continue and i have i may have some follow up questions later but at this yeah. point this was the only yeah. observation i had uh, yes i want to see that it is high time that we pay due respect to the hindu civilizational memory modern historians do not uh, take this into account at all so as i said krishna according to the hindu belief was born at no other place than mathura and there is this inscription which talks about the mahasthan of krishna vasudev krishna now you know that uh, mathra was uh, devastated and attacked so we don't know how much we have lost but it is our good fortune that we have another inscription that was found in the british period this inscription was found from a well and because it was found in a well it is known as the mora well inscription mora was the name of the well now you know a well is no place for an inscription obviously it flew there in the time of some attack or invasion or whatever but this inscription is just a little later than the vasu door jam inscription almost the same time but vasu is the first and mora well inscription is the second and this well inscription it is also no less significant it says that we are building a stone structure it specifies the material that is going to be used in the construction it's a stone structure and who is it being made for the inscription is very clear that it is being made to honor the five vrishni heroes now we know that vasudev krishna belonged to the vrishni clan and the people in that clan who were revered and honored were vasudev krishna his brother elder brother sankarshan 
then anirudh pradyumna and samba all immediate relatives of vasudev krishna so this is further authentication of the importance of mathura for the vrishni heroes for the bhagavat followers and we come across these inscriptions now that is not the end of the story and, and the moral dating is just, is? just about a decade or two after the Vasudo Jami inscription. I see, I see. But there is no particular exact date, but it is dated by archaeologists to about a few Not years the dating after. Kind of process. Uh, yeah, whatever, uh, just a few years. But you know, I mean, it is really amazing. Alexander Cunningham, he was the first director general of the Archaeological Survey of India. And his contribution to preserving and discovering our heritage is something that we should always be grateful for. Now, Alexander Cunningham excavated a mound near where this inscription had been found. And in the course of that excavation, he discovered three statues. Now, uh, there are two male torsos and one female. Now the two male torsos are headless. So, uh, but uh, what is absolutely intriguing for us is that the leading art historians in India and abroad have examined these two male torsos and their conclusion is unanimous. There is no dissent on this. And they say that one torso is without doubt that of Vasudev Krishna and the other of his brother. Uh, Balram? Mean, yes. Balram also known as Sankarshan. Okay. And the third uh, inscription, the third torso is not of the same period as these two male torsos. It's slightly later. But the thing about that torso is that it has an inscription on the pedestal. Again, the uh, torso is headless, but uh, scholars say this is the sister of Vasudev Krishna and Balram, Ek Namsa. So, I mean, people who mock at the Hindu reverence for Mathura and the claim to that particular site, they are either ignorant of all these facts or they deliberately try to brush them away. But my deep reverence and awareness of the strength and depth of the Hindu civilizational memory has been really reinforced by this work. After the Mora Well inscription, uh, there are a couple of other inscriptions from that area which also talk about uh, people who are Param Bhagwats, that means great devotees of Vasudev Krishna. Now you ask. Um, uh, Dr. Minakshi Jain, the, the question I was going to ask you was that under the mound, was there a temple structure? Was it like that had a, a, a Nagara architecture or something similar to that? Uh, what did, what was it? How, I mean, what did the mound expose? Only ruins and fragments because we must remember that Mathra was devastated 
several times by invaders beginning with mahmud ghaznavi and the devastation that mahmud ghaznavi wreaked over there it is recorded by his court historian utbi after that we have a series of attacks on mathura so there is no question of any particular uh, uh, site or structure that old surviving intact we just have the inscription which says that we are creating a stone structure for the five krishna heroes but as i said the epigraph is not complete you yeah, talked yeah, about please go ahead please go ahead yeah. i am trying to get something from a book by padmabhushan yeah. dr nagaswami i have some information yes. but please continue your thought go ahead yeah. uh, uh, i have also consulted professor nagaswami he was an outstanding historian intellectual art expert and whatever you want to call him now oh, what i, I want to do he was really i mean he helped me so much in my work i can't tell you hmm. flight of dts that book i owe so much to him okay now uh, to cut the long story short yeah there was a historian about 50 years ago and he was wanting to study when were plays on the life of krishna staged in mathura so he wanted to know because we are all aware of familiar with krishna leela ram leela but he wanted to know what is the earliest evidence that we have of plays on the life of krishna being staged at mathura and here also it is absolutely remarkable that he found a partially damaged inscription which talks about a family of actors and when we say family of actors we mean they were proficient in singing dancing and all the other uh, qualifications necessary for an actor and this inscription which the scholar found led him to conclude that plays on the life of krishna had been staged in mathura 2000 years ago so this tradition of staging plays on the life of krishna in mathura he says is at least 2000 years old on the basis of some inscriptions that he found there you know i i've been scrambling to try and locate a coin in the first yes. century ade from it's in my book one, yeah it's in my book one, it's in my book oh you you've got it wonderful wonderful yes. that completes okay. the book one very yeah. good reason why you should buy this book but in this book dharma yoga in first century bce before common era there were coins that were printed with ram lakshman with saraswati with lakshmi with durga with the swastika symbol i mean it is how far back these things go in fact mohenjodaro uh, excavations they have bricks with swastika in there and then people continue to associate it with the wrong person and the wrong uh, symbol and and it just blows my mind that people can keep on thinking they can say a lie over and over and that becomes the truth so anyway that's a topic for a different day dr minakshi um in in your book uh do, do you also talk about what happened in the recent past meaning you see india started feeling the turbulence from mahmud of ghazni's attack did he also attack mathura like the way he did somnath we know about somnath not much is talked about his attack on mathura 
you see, uh, we are very fortunate that all these invaders, they took pride in desecrating and vandalizing Hindu sacred sites. So they made sure that they were accompanied by their court historians who described in detail what they did to this land that we call Bharatvarsh. Now, Mahmud Ghaznavi also attacked Mathura in 1017 common era. And we have an eyewitness account by his court historian, Utbi. Now, Utbi says that when we came to Mathura, we were staggered and spellbound by the kind of temples that we saw there. He said the intricate carvings on the outer walls of the temples made us think that this could not be the handiwork of humans. It had to be some divine spirit, divine energy, or perhaps the divine himself or herself that had descended to create these magnificent structures. So the, uh, the kind of temples that they saw there, there is a vivid description of those temples, the statues, the murtis, and which were the uh, largest temples. Now, uh, we all know that Mahmud Ghaznavi, you know, just destroyed whatever he could at Mathura. It was a total devastation of the city. Now, uh, since we are talking about the Hindu civilizational memory, that is the key that we should emphasize upon. So, there were no historians at that time. Uh, there was no uh, media or social media or whatever. But the memory of the devastation of Mahmud Ghaznavi, it was there for ordinary people. It registered that this has happened. And it is so astonishing and so heartening to know that more than a hundred years after Mahmud Ghaznavi's attack on Mathura, we again have a fragment of an inscription. And that fragment of an inscription is by a person called Jhajja. Now, we have not heard of this name before or after, and we don't even know who he was. But this Jhajja, he says, I've rebuilt the temple for Krishna. Can you imagine? For 100 years, people of Mathura and everywhere else also, I'm sure, kept the memory that there was a temple that was destroyed. And more than a hundred years later, Jhajja records that I have reconstructed that temple. When I talk about reconstructing a temple, it is obvious that it was not of the same grandeur because uh, political power had probably slipped out of the hands of the people of the subcontinent. They were no longer that prosperous. It was an attempt to reclaim sacred space, according to me. So At this, this point, is... it would be a, a good uh, time to show some details about the book, because we are probably going into the second part of our discussion, where we come up to the contemporary dates. So the book is available on Amazon, and it is called Vasudeva Krishna and Mathura, 
It was released about a year ago, January 2021. But now it has a lot of significance because we know that the court has admitted a case to go over the legality of who owns the place as well as perhaps it's going to look at some land registry records. We'll come to all that in just one second. So Dr. Minakshi, Ghaznami, and then 11th century, we talked about uh, Dhaja. Okay. So after that, what happened? Can you walk us through up in the next thousand years? I have to walk you through that next thousand years because when we come to the modern debate, which is what yes. is uh, which is what you have mentioned, it will make no sense until we take cognizance yes. of the of the repeated attacks on Mathura and the re repeated attempts to claim that land for Krishna. And one more thing I want to add before I go into that. You know, people say that Ayodhya was a Jain site and a Muslim site, a Buddhist site, etc. Nobody is denying that. Two Jain Thirthankars are supposed to have been born in Mathura. Buddhism also had a presence in Mathura. But we must always remember that the claim was to a particular site in Mathura, not to the whole of Mathura. So the other parts of Mathura were inhabited by Jain people, Jain stupas were built, Buddhists were there. But this Katra Keshav Dev, we have never found any Buddhist or Jain remains over here. So this is a ploy, you know, to create divisions and dissensions within the community. That, you know, you were also there, you are not there now. The Jains never claimed Katra Keshav Dev as theirs, nor did the Buddhists. We have other parts of Mathura where uh, Hindus and J Buddhists and Jains can be found even today. Now, to, cut, to come back to the thing, after Mahmud Ghaznavi, again I am repeating this strength of the civilizational memory because that is the keynote of our discussion. And that is the principal thing that I have learned from research in this area. So after Jhajja, the temple that Jhajja built was also damaged or destroyed. Uh, we have Firosha Tughlaq Sikandar Lodi. But the Hindus seem to have patched it up and continued worshipping there. Now, uh, Sikandar Lodi was, you know, his contribution over there. It's all recorded by Persian historians that what they did at that site. It's very interesting that in the time of Emperor Akbar, uh, we had a Portuguese Jesuit father who came and stayed at Akbar's court also for a while. And he visited Mathura and he his account is available. It has been translated into English and is available on the net. Anyone can look at it. He says that in Mathura, there is only one temple that is left standing. And he says all the other temples have been devastated. He also says that these foolish people, they have picked up fragments of those destroyed temples and erected small structures and continue to worship those temples that were devastated. Pieces of those temples they pick up, whether it's a statue or a part of a temple, they've erected small little huts kind and continue to worship over there. So this is the backdrop. Now, for our purposes, 
what is the most important thing that happens at the birthplace site or at Mathura? You see, Emperor Jahangir, when he was prince, he revolted against his father because he suspected that his father is not going to make him the successor and will make Jahangir's son the successor. So he revolted in Akbar's time and set up a rival court. And he had a, a grudge against Abul Fazl, whom he thought was poisoning Akbar against Jahangir. So at that time, there was this tiny kingdom of Orcha. Abul Fazl had gone to the Deccan for some work and he was coming back from the Deccan on the summons of Akbar. Jahangir comes to know, so he tells a prince of Orcha, Abul Fazl is going to pass through your territory, cut his head and give it to me, and I will make you king of Orcha when I become the Mughal emperor. So that prince does exactly that, sends the head, and Jahangir makes him king of Orcha when he becomes emperor Jahangir. Now, this is no hearsay, it is no distortion of facts. Because Jahangir has meticulously recorded all this in his autobiography, Tuzuke Jahangir. So again, you don't have to accept, you know, it's always good to cross-check. It's always good to cross-check what a person is saying. So luckily for us, many of those medieval accounts are now available freely on the net. The Tuzuke Jahangiri, the autobiography of Emperor Jahangir records that he ordered the execution of Abul Fazl and made this prince of Orcha king. Now, this prince of Orcha, Bir Singh Bundela, he is very important for us because the moment he became the ruler of Orcha, what does he do? He says, I have to bring build a Krishna temple. In Mathura, he is in Orcha. But he says, I have to build a grand Krishna temple at Mathura. So this temple that he built, he spent a fortune on it. And it was such a grand temple that we have two eyewitness accounts, uh, you know, Frenchmen who came to India. They traveled over India. They went to Mathura, saw this temple of Bir Singh Bundela and recorded it in their travels to India. Again, those are available. So this is not evidence that has been concocted today. It is evidence that is centuries old. Now, and they say the temple could be seen so it was so large it could be seen miles away. Now this is the temple that Aurangzeb destroyed. So uh, now we will come back to the attacks on Mathura. As per your question, please ask. Yes, the question that I think uh, you are answering is that people think it was Jahangir who built this uh, this temple. So there is a big disconnect in people's perception because there are people who will praise, oh, but Jahangir is the person who built this Krishna temple in Mathura. We should be grateful that there is at least one Mughal emperor, you know, who was such a good friend of Hindus. So I think that theory lays completely flattened. I'm glad that we are going down this memory lane and look, uh, looking up all these things because I, I get my ears 
filled with so much information because of all the guests that come on my uh, hangouts, uh, Dr. Minakshi, that sometimes I need to kind of keep my head straight. Wait, wait a minute, isn't this the truth? Isn't this the truth? So I'm hoping that in your book, you are going to capture as many pictures from those eras so that people can just carry a book like I'm carrying this Dharma Yoga. Because this one for me is the Bible as far as swastika is concerned. I have proof. 150 BCE, there was a coin, you know, uh, published by a Bactrian king that shows swastika. Anyway, so this is just my uh, reference book. And, and, and that, uh, no, and yeah. that Bactrian uh, king that you mentioned, six coins, silver coins have been found during excavations in the Afghanistan, Baltistan area. Yes. And those six coins, silver coins, they have Vasudev on one side and his brother on the other side. That was so the one that, that I was searching for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's there in my. I have it in my book, but th wonderful, that is also wonderful. That is that is also two thousand years ago. Yes, and, uh, yes, yes. Before before I come to Mathura, I just want to make one more point, yes. and that is in the second century BCE, there was a Greek ambassador to the court of an Indian king, and he went to Vidisha and erected. A column which still stands there in honor of Vasudev Krishna. So it's not that it's not that the followers of Vasudev Krishna were confined to Mathura. By no means. We have an inscription, the Nana Ghat inscription in the Western Ghats, which talks about Sankarshan and Krishna. So before the coming of the common era, that is. More than 2000 years ago, we have coins of Krishna found in Afghanistan border area. We have an inscription in the Western Ghats. So, Krishna worship was not just confined to Mathura. That is also an important point that we should keep in mind. Absolutely. And, and let's walk our uh, yeah, memory yeah. lane. So, Aurangzeb destroyed it. Then, yes, when, yes. what happened? Now, that was not the end of the sorrows of Mathura. The last major attack on Mathura was in 1757 by the Afghan invader Ahmad Shah Abdali. And Ahmad Shah Abdali's attack has been graphically recorded by a camp follower who was an eyewitness to this. And this account in Persian by a camp follower was translated by an ICS officer uh, more than 70, 80 years ago. All right. Now, this camp follower says that Amacha Abdali attacked Mathra, Braj, Vrindavan. And he told his soldiers that as many kafir heads that you bring, I will give you 5 rupees per head. Now, 5 rupees per head in that period was a huge amount. And he gives a graphic description of each soldier coming with so many heads tied to the rope in one village. There were 200 heads of children that were chopped off. So this kind of graphic assault that Mathura witnessed, it is the misfortune of Mathura that it has seen so much bloodshed. And all because of its commitment to its deities. So that ends the Muslim attacks on Mathura. Now, the tide turns 
in favor of the Krishna Bhakts and devotees in 1770. In 1770, the Marathas win the Battle of Govardhan. And Mathura, Vrindavan, Agra area comes under their control. Now, the first thing that they do when they get control of this area is to declare the Katra Keshav Dev as government land, that is Nazul land. Now, when the Marathas and when they declare this as Nazul land, the record states that the Malvis at the Idga they left that place and they said, now we will go and look for an alternative means of livelihood elsewhere. So they actually left that place. Now, in 1803, the British defeated the Marathas and they became the rulers of this area. They also continued the Maratha policy of declaring this as government land. Now, in 1815, uh, they sell this entire Katra Keshav Dev. When I talk about Katra Keshav Dev, I have to specify it means 13.37 acres. That is the dispute today. This 13.37 acres was never partitioned among any family members. It remained one unit. So what happens is that in 1815, uh, the British auctioned this, Katra Keshav Dev. And it is purchased by a fa family of bankers. And that family is the family of Raja Patni Mal. So Raja Patni Mal purchases the 13.37 acres. He is registered as the owner in the British Revenue and Judicial Records. Now, this is when the British courts come in. From 1815 till the time of independence, there are a series of cases that are filed in the Mathura court. The judges were mostly British judges except on the eve of independence when we had one or two Indian judges. So these cases are filed by the Eidga party. When they came back, we are not sure. But they file one case after another in the British courts saying that this is our land. And each British judge examines the case with great care, examines all the documents that are available and all the documents are presented that are presented by the two parties. And each British judge says that all the evidence points to Raja Patni Mal and his successors as the owners of 13.37 acres. And they tell the Eidga party that you have not been able to produce any evidence. But the Eidga party goes on filing case after case and it also resorts to fudging documents. Now, for example, they present a case in the British court that why are you calling this place Katra Keshav Dev? It is Katra Eidga. 
so uh, the british judges say that uh, please produce some documents they're not able to produce any documents they forge bills they forge bills they forge documents and when the british government was wanting to build a railway line they needed some land uh, from this family and the compensation for that land was also given to raja patnimal's heirs so there is never any doubt that it was 13.37 now what happened was that raja patnimal's heirs they incurred they had a small debt not much just 13000 rupees but they were not able to repay that debt and because of this constant litigation they were not in a position to actually build the temple because of their financial weakness and they finally had to sell the land so they told uh, jugal kishore birla that we don't want any money for this 13.3 acres you just repay that 13000 rupee loan because we are not in a position to build a temple it's very clear so they sold the land to jugal kishore birla and in 1951 jugal kishore birla created shri janam bhumi uh trust shri janam bhumi trust and he created uh, three people were members of that trust it was headed by the great madan mohan malviya according to jugal kishore birla the trust had to have only one objective and that was to build a grand temple for krishna lord krishna so till here i have done my independent research all the documents are with me i can substantiate every point that i have made till here after this what i am going to say is on the basis of a case that has been filed in mathra which is what you alluded to now what yes. is this case now what is this case briefly put in 1968 a body called the shri krishna janamsthan seva sang the other thing was not seva sang in 1968 this body seva sang enters into an agreement with the idga party and gives 3 acres of land of katra keshav dev to the idga party now what was the compulsion to give the land to the idga party when the idga party had lost each and every case in the british courts when the idga party had not been able to give any evidence that it owned even a fraction of that land now what i am saying is that this is not something that i have researched this is on the basis of the case that has been filed now what is interesting about this case is why was it filed in why was this agreement done in 1968 according to some people the government at the center had become a minority government and Indra it needed congress uh, and it needed the support of some outside parties and the two 
parties that did solicited support from were the muslim league and the communist party so this is a i am not saying this because i am not done research on this this is on the basis of the case that has been filed the office bearers of the seva sangh their name is also their names are also given in that petition that vishnu jain and others have filed in the mathura court among the people in that seva sangh is dp mishra who was chief minister of madhya pradesh congress chief minister and among the others that i can recall is the congress governor of bihar so now in 1960 and this agreement you will be shocked to know it marks the, the land that we will give this much from this this much from this so many yards from here so many so the agreement is not a falsehood falsehood at all because the terms of that agreement are mentioned in the petition filed by vishnu jain and that agreement has also come to public light recently all the terms are there on the net so the exact amount of land that is surrendered to idga party is specified in that agreement now the questions that arise for us the present idga is it built on that 3 acres of land given by the seva sang is it 3 acres it, did you say or 13 acres 13.37 acres is the original katra keshavdev okay okay of that the Seva Sangh gave three acres to the three acres. Got it. Got it. Got it. Of got that, it. now, now the question is: So, was this? Is this Idga built on those three acres, which are which were Katra Keshav Devland, which have been declared by every court as Katra Keshav Dev? So, if the masjid is built on the three acres surrendered by Seva Sangh. then the people's worship act does not apply to it second point very important point alexander cunningham he visited mathura many times and he has written detailed reports which are published in the asi journals and i have quoted them in my book the last report of alexander cunningham is very important he says you know the plinth of the temple that was destroyed is there for me to see i can see it it was one of the largest temples in india and he said that the inscriptions of that temple have been used as pavements in the idga and one of the inscriptions i see the word keshav kesoro you know keshav rai that means you know uh, keshav and he says that the idga is now in a dilapidated structure and excavations under it can easily be done so if alexander cunningham is saying that the idga is in a dilapidated structure that's going to fall apart any day the present idga is not in a dilapidated structure at all so these are questions uh for which we hope now that the supreme court has taken 
a clear stand we hope that the mathura court will shed light on this what was the compulsion to have an agreement in 1968 when was the present eedgah built and what is the way out so this is basically what i have put together in my book <clears throat> dr meenakshi jain this was a wonderful journey down memory lane about the temple for sri krishna built at his janmasthan and i'm hoping that this will form a series of discussions and hangouts that we will have as this case starts progressing forward so that at any given point of time if there is a question asked in the court we can come back and refer to our references and say okay this is what it is because we are not going to let go of these things anymore uh, and and unless hindus fight back you know and 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 uh, this is this is the, the whole sanatana dharma is under threat and i'm hoping that we will have you back again very short time and thank you so much for spending time to explain to us in a very simple to understand lucid way how things came about i would like to have another hangout with you follow up uh, you know maybe after i go through your book and get a, a little bit better idea of how to ask more nuanced questions thank you very much dr minakshi jain and thank you so much thank you so much thank you Thank you.